if you're new this spring, I have not had an opportunity to be up here, I can't believe, since last November. It just seems like yesterday, and here it is April. We're almost at the end, and um, I have to say, Vicki kind of scared me. I'm almost... Um, scared to get up here and teach now after all of her uh, all of her great praises I'm thinking oh my goodness what a uh, what a uh, I don't want to say burden but what a delight to know that the word of God changes lives and I appreciate your saying that Vicki okay a couple of weeks ago Lynn was up here and she started out her lecture by telling you of a little incident she'd had on the front steps in the snow I don't know whether any how many of you were here but you know that day that it was snowing and she slipped and fell down the steps and she had a notebook with her teaching notes and she said it flew all up and down Birchman and she was actually with Wendy they were going somewhere she called me what she was telling you is that she called me later that day and told me about it and she reported to you that I said two things that I said I'm so glad uh, I'm sorry that happened to you I'm glad you weren't hurt and that I can't believe I missed it and um, okay so I'm just here this morning to tell you that that's exactly what I said I absolutely Lynn gave me such a funny account of her falling down those um, steps. And then she gave this whole story about she and Wendy chasing her lecture notes in the snow up and down Birchman. And after she told me all that, I thought, Kodak moment. I can't believe that all of us, uh, Lynn and Wendy, are such funny gals. And to, to think about them in the snow running up and down the street. So I was really sorry I missed it. I also laughed because I knew that if it had been Deb Hagen and I, if we had been going to lunch and I fell down the steps, which is entirely possible, I fall down all the steps, Um, that Deb and I would have been nurses. We wouldn't have been Lynn and Wendy running up and down the street that we would have, you know, I would have laid there until she did a complete assessment of me, (laughs) got my little neck collar on, and the lecture notes would have been forgotten, you know. So anyway, I just appreciate Lynn and Wendy and how funny they are. Lynn is so expressive and, and fun to watch that she made Paul and the Judaizers seem fun for six weeks, you know. She can do all those things. We are going to spend all of April talking about Second Timothy, uh, talking about Paul, the Apostle Paul, whose life dramatically changed when he, just like all the others that we have studied since last September, Paul did the same thing everybody else did. He answered Jesus' call to come follow me. Deb Haygood began last January talking about Paul with us. She did one week lesson where she shared with us the beginnings of Paul's journey with Jesus Christ. She told us that he was actually on the road to Damascus. He had orders in his pocket to go to Damascus, find Christians and persecute them, possibly even execute them. He was headed to Damascus when Jesus himself intervened. He came to Paul, he stopped him, and changed Paul's life forever. And then a few weeks ago, Lynn led us through six weeks study of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians was Paul's first letter written after his first missionary journey. I don't know, Lynn told us all that. I don't know whether you remember it or not. And it gave us a great look at Paul's early years in ministry. 
who he was uh, when he first began to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. And what we do today is we begin a look at Paul's final years, his last days in ministry. And that picture, when we first started talking about Paul, we had a young Paul, and then um, Lynn Uh, had that picture up there, and this is probably the end of Paul's days. You can tell he's an older man there. Paul has been very busy. It's been 19 years since he wrote the book of Galatians. Between Galatians and the writing of 2 Timothy, there was 19 years in between, and he's been a very busy man. But actually, we can sum up Paul's life in a better word than busyness. He's been more than simply busy. Actually, we can sum up his whole life and his whole ministry in one word. It's a very significant word. I think it's the word that we as women of God need to take note of. And that word is faithful. Paul has been a living, breathing example of the word faithful. In fact, on your outline, I think the first line says, faithfulness is a hallmark of Paul's life and ministry. He's a picture of the very definition of faithful. I don't know how many of you looked it up and talked about it in your small groups, but the definition of faithful that I like is a steadfast allegiance and an unswerving loyalty to a person or to a cause. And without a doubt, our Apostle Paul has been all of those things to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has had an unswerving allegiance and a steadfast loyalty to his Lord and his Savior. I took time to look up some synonyms of faithful, just so we would not be confused about what we talk about, what we mean when we talk about faithful. Some of the synonyms for faithful are loyal and constant and conscientious and binding steadfast, resolute. When we talk about someone's faithfulness or someone being faithful, those are the things that they're exhibiting in their life. And certainly Paul has been every one of those things since he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. We can call him nothing less than steadfast and resolute and loyal and binding. So in the 19 years since he wrote Galatians. It's been 19 years since he wrote Galatians. And when we looked at Galatians, we actually saw that Paul was steadfast and loyal and resolute um, to the fact, to the, the very thought that salvation was by faith alone. It's faith plus nothing else that brings our salvation. He was steadfast and resolute when he talked about that. Now, since his letter to the Galatians, he's been, as I said, a very busy man. We've got a map, I think, that's going to come up on the screen. Um, You can see some of it. It's supposed to be different colors. I don't know whether it shows very well on the screen. But Paul, since he wrote Galatians, has actually taken two more significant missionary journeys. In addition to those missionary journeys, he spent three years in Ephesus building into the church and building into the church leaders. He also spent two years imprisoned in Caesarea for his faith. He spent two more years imprisoned in Rome under house arrest for his faith. He's been chased. He's been beaten. He's been plotted against. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. And these are Paul's own words about his experience. On your verse sheet, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27, this is Paul's words. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And through all of that, he has been faithful. He's been loyal and steadfast and resolute to Christ and to the gospel of Christ. 1 Timothy 1.12, this is Paul again. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. The incredible account of Paul's journeys and his experiences and his hardship are really not the only evidence of Paul's faithfulness that we have. Another great testimony to Paul's faithfulness are his writings, his very own words. During the 19 years since he wrote Galatians, while he was traveling, while he was preaching, whether he was in prison or not, whether he was shipwrecked, whether he was hungry or naked, Paul was faithfully writing He was writing to those that he couldn't be with physically. He was writing to those who were having difficulties in life. He was writing to those who were new in their faith and needed guidance. And he was writing to those whose faithfulness he needed to encourage. It's Paul's faithfulness that actually gives us the foundation of our New Testament. Because in addition to Galatians, I'm sure most of you know, Paul also wrote... 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and very probably Hebrews. But even more than being evidence of Paul's faithfulness, his New Testament writings actually give us something else. They tell the story so that we know where Paul's faithfulness actually comes from. I talked with a young woman last week and we were talking about learning styles and the Bible study and different things like that. And she said, shared with me that um, things that motivated her faith, that she said it really isn't people's stories that motivate my faith. I mean, I can listen to people's life stories, but what motivates my faith and spurs me on is the why behind their life story. And it's in his writings that Paul gives us his why behind his faithfulness. And that is that Paul is a man who understands that his faithfulness is simply the only correct response that he can have to God's faithfulness, God's perfect faithfulness to us. Let's read some of the things that Paul knows about God's faithfulness. Some of them you read in your homework last night already. God who has called you, this is 1 Corinthians 1, nine. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ is faithful. And 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up in it. And to the Thessalonians, he writes this about God's faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. That was a little bit of Betsy's uh, 
praise this morning is that God is faithful and he is going to do it. Now, Paul does write over and over again of God's faithfulness, his ability to be steadfast. And um, he does that because he understands that only God's faithfulness is perfect. It comes from his perfect and loving character. And because God is perfect, he can be nothing less than faithful. Nowhere in your life will you say, if God has only been more faithful, this would not have happened. God's faithfulness is perfect, and he can be nothing less than perfectly faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul's writings and his life epitomize an important fact about the Christian life for us ladies. It epitomizes the fact that our Christian life rests on the faithfulness of God on one hand and our faithfulness to God on the other hand. That is the crux of our Christian life when it concerns faithfulness. Now the other thing that we see in Paul's writings is that he values and encourages the faithfulness of others in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 says, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Colossians 4, 9 says, Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. And he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. Paul understands, he gets it at the core of his being. Without the continued faithfulness of God's people, when God's people cease to be faithful to the message, the message in the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to languish. So Paul took every opportunity that he could to encourage in others their faithfulness, no matter what he was doing or where he was. And what he's doing when he writes this letter to uh, Timothy that we know as 2 Timothy What he's doing right here is he is sitting, actually, in a Roman prison cell. It's somewhere around 66 A.D. It was probably 47 or 48 A.D. when he wrote Galatians. Now it's 66 A.D. Rome actually burned in 64 A.D. And when Rome burned, the the Roman emperor Nero blamed the Christians. And because of that, he began a serious persecution of all of the Christians, particularly Christian leaders. And as a result of that persecution on behalf of the Roman emperor Nero, Paul is arrested again. This time he's not under house arrest. His first imprisonment in Rome five years ago, he was under house arrest. He lived in his house. He couldn't leave. But his conditions were not um, deplorable. But this time they are. He is in an underground Roman prison cell. And he's chained night and day, if not to the wall, then to a Roman centurion that is with him every bit of the time. And this time, his last imprisonment ended in his release This time, Paul knows in his heart and has every reason to believe that this imprisonment is going to end in his execution. But despite that fact, our faithful Apostle Paul is not idle. He has not laid down in his prison cell to say, Woe is me, how did it end like this? And he actually hasn't lifted up his fist to curse God. What he's done is he's taken up his pen one more time and he writes what turns out to be his very last letter, the very last account that we have of Paul. Now one of your questions on your homework, which I hope you had a chance to discuss in your small group, was if you knew that your time on earth might be short, 
Who would you write to? And what would you want to, to tell them? What would be in your heart to communicate? Second Timothy is Paul's answer to that question. Paul knew his time was short, and he was going to write to his beloved friend and co-laborer in Christ, Timothy. And what he's going to write to Timothy about is that word faithfulness. It's so important to Paul, and that's how he spends his last days, writing to Timothy about faithfulness. He would write to him about what it means to be loyal and steadfast and resolute to what he knows to be true, the gospel and message of Jesus Christ, because Paul does not want Timothy to let this message languish. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we're going to start, of course. While you're turning there, let me tell you that as we read, we're going to read the first 18 verses today. We're going to do chapter 1. We're not only going to see Paul's great love for Timothy and his passion for encouraging Timothy, we are going to find Paul's encouragement to us also. Because in these opening verses, Paul shares something pretty important. He shares with us the essentials of faithfulness, what it's going to take in life, what is faithfulness made up of. If we could put it all in a bowl and stir it up and bake it in the oven and come out with faithfulness, what would we have to put into that bowl? When I was a little girl, my dad was a a great fisherman. In fact, I've shared with you over the years a lot of our fishing stories. And a couple of times a year, uh, he would organize a backyard neighborhood fish fry. I actually think my mom was behind it because she wanted to get rid of all that fish that was in our freezer. So she would say, cook it and feed it to the neighbors. One year, I remember uh, so clearly, he decided for some reason that the fish fry would not be complete unless we had hush puppies. And he found a recipe for hush puppies, and my mom was a wise woman. She let him do that. She let him get the recipe and uh, make these hush puppies. And these hush puppies were beautiful. They were crisp and golden and perfect, and they were the worst things you had ever ever, ever tasted in your life. In fact, you know how adults are so polite when they eat things that are nasty? You know, adults kind of make a tiny little face and then they spit it in their napkin, you know, and put it down. Well, kids are not that polite. You know how dramatic kids are when they taste something they don't like? They just, you know, and go through all the drama in the faces and fall down on the floor. I don't think my dad has actually ever forgiven any of us kids for all that we did that night when we tasted his hush puppies, all the gagging and the ugly um, faces. It wasn't until the next day that my mom actually figured out why the hush puppies were so nasty. My dad didn't realize that baking soda and baking powder are not exactly the same ingredient. Baking powder is an essential ingredient for hush puppies. Baking soda makes them nasty, very nasty. From his prison cell in Rome, Paul wants to make sure that Timothy does not make a similar mistake that he knows the essential ingredients of faithfulness and that he doesn't end up um, lacking the right ingredients. Let's read the first five verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now hopefully you remember a couple of weeks ago we studied Lydia with Kathy when she was up here, and it was part of your homework. We read in Acts about how Paul and Timothy had first begun to minister together, how they had become partners in spreading the gospel. It was in Acts 16. Those verses are on your verse sheet. He came to Derby, meaning Paul, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish, a Jewess, and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on their journey. It was at this point in Acts, Paul was on his second missionary journey. It's actually just a few months before Lydia's conversion. Paul meets up with Timothy, and then it's he and Timothy and Silas that actually share with Lydia. Timothy is a second-generation Christian. In fact, he's the very first second-generation Christian mentioned in the New Testament. And there is some debate about whether Timothy became a believer from Paul's first missionary journey, whether it's Paul that shared the gospel with Timothy, and that's why he always refers to him as as his dear son, or whether his uh, mother and grandmother, who were already believers, shared the gospel with Timothy. Now, it's my personal belief, it was the mother and the grandmother. I know all of you out there that are mothers and grandmothers, and how faithful you pray and share with your children, and so I'm not going to argue or debate anyone, but I'm convicted it was the mother and the grandmother. Paul begins a relationship with Timothy as a friend and a mentor and a co-worker and a spiritual father, which grows along with Timothy's faith for 16 years from the time they meet until he writes this letter to Timothy right here. Um, In these first few verses of his last communication with Timothy, we see Paul's genuine love for Timothy as he calls him his dear son. He always refers to him in some really familiar manner like that. Paul's body is in a Roman prison cell, but clearly we can see here that his heart really is with Timothy. He remembers how upset Timothy was at their last parting. He prays for him constantly. And in his own loneliness, Paul knows that a visit from Timothy would brighten his what's left of his life. Paul actually has a reputation of being a tough old guy. He's known as a soldier in Christ. If you read much about him, you know, as we've already seen all that he's been through. So we really do think of him as a tough cookie. But the truth is, Paul is a man with a very, very tender heart. And that tender heart reveals to us and to Timothy one of the essentials of faithfulness that Paul, that Timothy needs to put in his bowl and mix up. Genuine relationships with other believers. It truly is, ladies, genuine relationships with other believers that spur us on in our Christian life. I hope that is your experience. It is their prayers that hold us up. It is our prayers for them which give us purpose and intimacy with God. It's during the hard times that we keep each other from fainting or quitting or turning our back on God. 
it's only other believers that will really tell us the truth in love. Everyone else may bash us or gossip about us, but other believers will tell us the truth in love. And there's no celebration like the celebration with another believer when you've had an answer to prayer, when you know that God has shown up when you need him to. I've been in a mom's group, the same mom's group, for the last 16 years, and these women have spurred me on to faithfulness time and time and time again. This group of women has kept me praying faithfully for my own children and praying faithfully for their children. Our group has been together so long now that um, many of us in the group are grandmothers. Uh, We've celebrated together during graduations and weddings and the birth of all those grandbabies. And we've spent a lot of time crying together and praying together um, during cancer and funerals and um, teenage rebellion and unwed pregnancies. These relationships, it's these relationships that have kept me praying and kept me trusting God and have kept me faithful when I might have decided that it wasn't worth it. There's no telling where Timothy would be if he had not had genuine relationships with his mother and his grandmother who were believers to spur him on. And if he hadn't had Paul, what would Timothy have become or done without Paul who had spent the last... 16 years teaching him and exhorting him and praying for him and loving him. Genuine relationships with other believers are fertilizer for faithfulness in our life. And Paul's own ministry and his faithfulness is such an example to that. If you know much about Paul, you know that he never did his ministry in a vacuum. He had great relationships with other believers. He was nurtured and encouraged and spurred on by Paul, by Barnabas and Silas and Priscilla and Aquila that we talked about last week and Lydia and even Timothy himself. So as Timothy labors at the church in Ephesus, Paul reminds Timothy as he starts out this letter that he is loved and he is prayed for and he's missed because Paul knows it's going to spur Timothy on to faithfulness. I don't think there's any of us here today that could read this letter and think, you know, Timothy just kind of tossed it aside. It didn't really mean much to him. I have a picture that Timothy saved it and carried it with him everywhere he went because it encouraged his faithfulness. Hebrews 10.24 on your verse sheet says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching Paul knows the day is approaching. He knows the day is approaching of his own death. He knows the day is approaching of greater persecution. And he, with his genuine relationship with Timothy, is spurring him on. Okay, let's read verses 6 through 12 together. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace has given us, was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now it has, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life 
and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. You know, Paul has a lot of time to think in his jail cell. He has a lot of time to pray for Timothy, to think about who Timothy is, who his personality is, to think about Timothy's faith and what he's going to face as he heads and leads the church in Ephesus. And knowing who Timothy is, Paul gives Timothy and us the next essential ingredient of faithfulness, and that is that the faithful in Christ must have courage. And Paul who writes from a Roman prison waiting to be executed is the perfect illustration of that truth. Paul knows without a doubt that he would not have been faithful. He would not have done all that God asked him to do in the last 30 years of his ministry without courage. He has not stayed the course with a timid and fearful heart, but with God's courage. He And he wants nothing less for Timothy. Paul has already acknowledged that just like his mother and grandmother, Timothy has a sincere faith. But he really knows that what Timothy's going to face is going to take more than a simple, sincere faith. It's going to be required of Timothy that he be courageous in his faith as well. Timothy's ability to lead and teach others, Paul encourages him here. He tells him, your ability to lead and teach others is God-given. But Timothy is going to have to overcome his timid personality, his fearful spirit and anxieties, and trust what God has given to him and called him to do. You know, it's in our flesh that we have fears, and it's with God's spirit that uh, we have the ability to move on. And I believe that Paul is telling Timothy that it's courage that's going to let you not live out of the flesh, but let you live out of the spirit that God has given him. Um, Eddie Rickenbacker was a World War I flying ace. He was a pretty uh, amazing man. He actually earned a medal of honor flying in those um, airplanes that were nothing really more than a little bit of um, glue and matchsticks, I think, if you look at them. Um, And he said this about courage. Courage is doing what you're afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you're scared. And Paul knows without a doubt that Timothy is scared. He's known Timothy for a long time. He understands and he tells us here that Timothy is struggling with being courageous in his testimony about Christ. He's struggling not to be ashamed in his witness, not to be ashamed of Paul and his association with him. You know, I said earlier, Paul was known as a tough guy, as a soldier of Christ, Um, But I love that in these verses, he is actually honest with Timothy. He speaks the truth in love to him. And he he shares with him, Timothy, you are going to have to overcome your tendency to let other people intimidate you, to let other people make you ashamed of who Jesus Christ is. But he softens that blow by saying to him, join with me. He's saying to him, you know, I may be in a prison cell, you may be in Ephesus, but Timothy... Really and truly, through the Spirit of God, we're in this together. And I love that we can say that to each other too. No matter what you're going through, no matter what I'm going through, we're really in it together through the Spirit of God. General William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, um, 
and worked with a lot of volunteers over his years, a lot of strong believers. He sent out this message to everyone that he worked with. The tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who has tended a fireplace, a fireplace fire knows that it needs to be stirred up occasionally. And Paul understands that it's his job as Timothy's mentor and his spiritual father, even though he sits in a prison in Rome, to stir the fire in Timothy's heart. Not by berating him, but by reminding him of the truth of the gospel message. He says to him in these few verses, Timothy, dear son, it's God who saved us. It's God who's called us to a holy life. It's God whose grace has destroyed death through Jesus Christ. You and I have done nothing, Timothy, absolutely nothing. But because of God's sovereignty and purpose in our lives, we have it all. And Paul gives Timothy right here in these verses the very best reason of all. In fact, the only reason I believe that we can have courage in the Christian life to not live out of our flesh and not live out of our fears, but the courage to live out of our spirit. He gives us... um, to Timothy that he should have courage because he has confidence in God. When you remember who God is, when you remember that God's done it all and that you've done nothing, then you have confidence in God. And with that confidence in God, we have courage to live out of the Spirit. I read in Reader's Digest a story about a, a little story about two hikers that were hiking in Yellowstone, and they had prepared and read everything they needed to do, and as they rounded a trailhead one morning as they were hiking, there was a huge brown bear in the trail, and one of the hikers whispered to the other hikers, remember what we read in the book, if we back up slowly, he won't attack us. And the other hiker said to him, I read the book and you read the book, but do you really think that bear read the book? That second hiker had absolutely no confidence in the bear. Absolutely no confidence in the bear. And Timothy, and Paul tells Timothy in verse 12 where his confidence lies. I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. You know, Paul had no confidence in the bear. He had no confidence in his flesh that was in him. Um, But he had a lot of confidence in who God was. He had a lot of confidence in whom he has believed, which is Jesus Christ. And really, he didn't have that much confidence in others either. But he knew who Christ was. Paul has believed in Christ alone. And that has given him the confidence to trust God and be courageous. The first verse of one of my favorite worship songs, I know y'all are going to know this, and probably it's a favorite song of yours too, says this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. Paul courageously stands only in the love of Christ. No matter what he faces, he faces it in confidence because he stands in the love of Christ. And he wants nothing less for Timothy. Nothing less for Timothy. When Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea for two years, the Jews in Caesarea did an interesting thing. They formed a conspiracy against him. And they actually agreed uh, among this group of Jews that they took an oath to not eat or drink until Paul was killed. 
And during that time, Jesus actually came to Paul. And this is what he said to him in Acts 23:11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so also must you testify about me in Rome. Timothy receives his encouragement and his admonition to have courage and be a faithful witness from the great Apostle Paul. But Paul received that encouragement and that admonition from Jesus himself. And that was why he could pass it on with such confidence to Timothy. Faithfulness, ladies, is always going to require courage. Okay, let's finish up with our last few verses, verses 13 through 18. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the, to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Our third essential ingredient of loyalty that Paul gives us in this letter uh, to Timothy is spiritual loyalty. Loyalty to the word of God and loyalty to God's people. With Paul soon to be executed and with the persecution of Christians increasing, I think Paul truly fears that without that loyalty, without that faithfulness, that Timothy will be tempted to modify the message or perhaps stop teaching the message altogether. The guys in my family are actually all great baseball players, and I I read a story about Babe Ruth recently. He was probably, arguably, the greatest baseball player of all time. He was idolized by hundreds of thousands of baseball fans everywhere. Every place he went, he was mobbed, and and people simply wanted to be near him and to talk to him. And... um, But in one of the very last games as an aging player, before he retired, he not only struck out, but he made several errors in the game that cost the Cincinnati Reds the game. And what do you think his loyal fans in the stands did? They booed him. They not only booed him, they threw things at him as he came on and after off the field. And towards the very last inning, the babe was leaving the field and people were throwing things at him. And there was one little boy who managed to climb over the fence and jump onto the field, and he ran to the babe and grabbed him around the knees and held on. It was only that one little boy that overlooked that day's circumstances and had loyalty to the truth that Babe Ruth was probably the greatest baseball player any of them had ever seen. The babe picked him up, and they left the field together. Um, Babe Ruth that day was guarded. They stopped throwing things at the stands when he had the little boy in his arms. Babe Ruth that day was guarded by the loyalty of one small fan. And that's the kind of loyalty faithfulness is going to take. The loyalty to never turn your back 
on God's truth. The loyalty to never turn your back on God's people. It doesn't matter who boos you when you tell God's truth. It doesn't matter who throws things at you as you're giving your witness. And Paul wants Timothy to have that kind of loyalty. The Timothy, the loyalty to guard what God has trusted him with. Paul began his letter to Timothy back in uh, the first few verses by reminding him that it's God's spirit that's going to help him overcome his timidity, that's going to help him overcome his fear. And he brings it full circle again by telling him right here, Timothy, that kind of loyalty is going to come again from God's spirit. It is God's spirit that's going to help you guard the truth with your own loyalty. Paul has come full circle with Timothy in these first few verses. But sadly, he doesn't finish this part of the letter without... um, giving us a picture of what happens when our loyalty to God's people and our loyalty to God's truth fails. When we falter in our faithfulness to Christ, he tells us here what happens because we see the picture of it with Paul. People suffer. When our loyalty to God's truth falters, when we fail in um, guarding the truth that God has given to us, people suffer. Because we see here that Paul suffered. In addition to the physical hardships of prison, the lack of loyalty by those that he had shared Christ with, by all of those people that he had witnessed to in the province of Asia that didn't even have the loyalty to come visit him. It caused him pain. It caused him to have, in addition to physical hardship, it caused him to have loneliness and despondency as he faces his own death. Only Onesiphorus maintained the loyalty that faithfulness takes. Only Onesiphorus displayed the essentials of faithfulness that Paul has been talking to Timothy about in these first few verses. He's the only one that understands that it's genuine relationships, that it's great courage, and it's spiritual loyalty to the truth and to those who serve the truth that bring about faithfulness in our lives. Now, I want to close here in just a few minutes. I know we're running a little bit beyond time, but hang in there with me just for a few minutes. Paul has been very honest and upfront with Timothy, and I want us to be honest with ourselves and with each other today as we finish. And I put down at the bottom of your outline, got faithfulness, because I want us to, everyone, just as Kathy charged each of you last week to go home and ponder and pray, I want you to go home and ponder and pray faithfulness in your own life. As, as a believer, are all of us steadfast and loyal and resolute to the cause of Christ? I read um, about a tourist that was in a small country town and he ran across a man on, sitting on a front porch and he stopped to visit with him and he finally said to the man, um, have any famous men been born in this town? And the old man looked up at him and said, nope, only babies. Um, we were not born, we were not born into God's kingdom as great women of faith. God knew that was who we would become if we pursued it, if we persevered, if we hung in there. And that's what we need to do. We're going to have to pursue um, faithfulness in our life. And I think on your outline, I put one of the things we're going to have to do is we're going to have to connect with other people. We're going to have to 
As women, we will grow in faithfulness if we make every effort to connect with other women. And I know, ladies, it's hard. It's much easier to just run in and sit in the sanctuary for one hour on Sunday morning and then race out to your car because you've got many things that you need to do. But that's not going to grow your faithfulness. You're going to have to make every effort to connect. And that's what small groups really are all about. It is no random fact that we have these small groups on Uh, Thursday morning because if all we did is sit in this sanctuary together, we would never build the relationships, the genuine relationships that are going to require to build our faithfulness. Every week I hear great stories of how you've spurred each other on in your small groups how one of you will say, you know what, I was going to make a decision, I was a little off track, and my small group really brought me back around to the truth. Or my small group prayed for me, and God answered, and my faith has blossomed. So do everything you can to connect with other believers and build genuine relationships. Now next, if you, uh, I have on your outline... um, If you or someone else is struggling with faithfulness, I believe it's because you have a confidence problem. You don't know enough about who God is. I have a friend that I gave a book to this past Christmas, and it was called um, uh, Promises of God for Women. It was all the scripture references about the things that God has promised us in his word. She shared with me recently that she has read through that book twice already, and her struggle with being faithful in several areas of her life have diminished. She has improved her confidence in God. She has a much firmer grasp now on who God really is. And because of that, she's able to be more faithful. So if faithfulness is a struggle, work on knowing who God is, on what his word says and what his character is, and you will grow in faithfulness. And finally, you know that classic movie that we've all seen a million times, Top Gun? You know that, um, or at least at my house, because I have a pilot at my house. We've watched it over and over again in my life. That character, Maverick, the great Tom Cruise character, has a penchant for going off and leaving his wingman. And in the movie, what happens every single time he leaves his wingman? disaster strikes. And at the very end of the movie, he's in a fight with the other pilots, and he says to himself over and over again, I'm not leaving my wingman. I'm not leaving my wingman. And what happens at the end of the day? He has a victory, and he gains the trust of other people around him because he was faithful in what he had been asked to do. You know, we're not fighter pilots. I really believe that the stakes that we face are even higher than fighter pilots might face because we're talking about eternal life and eternal security. Um, But I think we can learn from that principle. Learn to tell yourself that no matter what the circumstances are, I'm not leaving the truth and I'm not leaving those who serve God's truth. If those in the province of Asia that deserted Paul had simply been loyal and said to themselves over and over again, You know, life is hard and Christians are being persecuted, but I'm not leaving the truth. And I'm not leaving those who serve the truth. Then we would have read today, centuries later, that they had been faithful instead of faithless. Proverbs 14, 14 on your verse sheet says, The faithless will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good man rewarded for his. Let's pray. 
Father, we love the fact that your faithfulness is perfect and that your faithfulness will never fail us. And Father, I pray today for myself and for every woman here that you would speak to our hearts about faithfulness, that you would encourage us in ways to be more faithful, that you would put people in our lives that are models of faithfulness to us, that you would um, convict us in areas that we need to improve in. I thank you for these women, for their time here. Lord, I pray that your word would be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path, and that path would be the path of faithfulness. I pray this in the name of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, before Wendy comes, she, uh, I have one announcement that I want to make. And over the past several years, we have uh, had an opportunity to send...